0: Let's read the word of God from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, as I say to everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, if the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. My name is Matt Ortiz, if you're new here. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. I'd love to meet you afterwards if if you have time. And uh, we just want you to feel uh, welcome and like part of the family here. Um, You know, on uh, Mother's Day, what I usually do is I at least wish, you know, the women, you know, Happy Mother's Day or or something along. I at least acknowledge it traditionally. I don't do a Mother's Day uh, message. And also during Father's Day, I don't necessarily... Do a Father's Day uh, message, but also, you know, I might say Happy Father's Day. Last Mother's Day, I didn't even—I realized later—I didn't even acknowledge that it was Mother's Day. I didn't say one word about it, and so I didn't wish them a Happy Mother's Day. And to be fair, um, I'm not going to wish the dads Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Instead, like my son, my son deliberately did not wish me a Happy Father's Day today. No, 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 check it out. He was thoughtful and he texted me. He said, happy second legal guardian of unspecified gender day. <laughs> so that counts, right? <laughs> I pass that on to the men. Or whoever. You know, in, uh, in, our, in our last series, uh, we talked about... Um, suffering being forged being shaped by suffering and how God works in us and through us in the context of suffering not not despite our suffering but in and through our suffering one of the things that we said it was as individuals and collectively as a church we believe that God's called us to glorify God as we lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family, that that's God's call on our life and that every single one of us has a role in that. And one of the things that we emphasized before was that this will not happen without suffering. It'll happen through suffering. And one of my jobs as a pastor and and the, the team of elders that we have, one of our jobs is to call you to suffering to call you to embrace suffering, and to challenge you to depend on God for everything because as you envision being a part of this and your role in it, you will suffer. It will not play out the way that you think. If you imagine, what would it like for me to be proactive and to get involved in helping to make this mission come about at my church? Whatever you imagine, it's not gonna play out that way. It's gonna be a lot messier. And so... The other job that I have as a pastor, because there will be suffering, is to call you into the rest that is yours in Christ. You cannot persevere through suffering. You cannot endure your suffering. If, it, if you do not have rest in Christ, you will just be crushed or you'll just tap out. So that is why we're gospel-centered, is to always bring our attention back to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that gives us a confidence and a rest that we could never achieve on our own. Now, God has called each and every single one of us to be a disciple, amen? He's also called each and every one of us to be disciples who disciple, and we do that individually, and then we do that collectively as a church. And, and here's the deal. If you are a follower of Jesus, if your life is focused on who Jesus is and what he has done for you, and, and you have his grace in, in sight, and it, it sheds light in, to your priorities and, and, your, and um, the way that you manage your time and your home and, and all of your other decisions, Here's, here's, what'll, here's what'll happen. You'll grow in your calling as a disciple and as a discipler. Maybe you don't view yourself as someone who will disciple someone else. That doesn't matter. That's who you are <laughs> in Christ. Right? And then collectively, as we grow in our understanding that together as a church, What happens is that we become a force of grace that points the people in our city and our neighbors to Christ and his truth and his grace. Now, I see that happening in our church, and I feel like we're starting to pick up some some momentum in that, that certain things are are lining up, and and I'm, I'm excited about that, and I want to call you to be a part of it. And as I call you to be a part of it, I want to give you a warning. It'll be messy. It will include, like I said, it will include suffering. It will include frustration. It will not go the way that you had hoped. But God's going to work in and through it. In fact, (laughs) If we believe that God is sovereign and in control of all things, the things that frustrate you are things that he's allowed to happen to shape you and and so that you have a greater dependence upon God. I tell you that because the tendency is when things don't go right, we blame somebody else or we blame the church. No, God ordained those things so that you would learn, as Paul said in our last series, that you would learn to depend on God more. I have experienced this in painful ways. When I planted a church uh, down in South Bay, it was like gangbusters the first two years. It seemed like God was supernaturally, freakishly putting things together. It exploded. And then it seemed after a while that God was supernaturally dismantling it. And then we moved to a school, fixed it up, put lots of, countless hours of man hours fixing the place up and a lot of money. And then for the school, we just did it for the school. And then three... uh, Months later or something, I can't remember how long it was, our rent tripled. And we were out. Inner city ministry, no, not enough money to go anywhere else. So we met in the park. Bring your own food to share in your own chair. That's what we're going to do. And let me tell you something. I was stressed out. That was some of the most stressful days of, of my life in ministry. I look, I look back on it now. And I have fond memories of that now. I thank God for that time. I cherish those memories now. I couldn't see it when I was in the midst of it. That's why it's important for you to hang in there. Because later, you realize God used that. He was orchestrating that. Sometimes things just don't you know, play out the way you hoped. I remember after that, I was going to work with the, pastor, the other pastor that was here. I was going to plant another church uh, in, in, in Oceanside. And we were there for a year. We made more friends with our neighbors more quickly than anybody than anywhere else that we have ever lived. And and my son, at that age, he was ninth, tenth grade, made the best friends of his life, of his life. I remember when I was that age, and we had to move. I was angry at my dad, and then I was angry at the ministry, and I didn't want the same thing happen to my son. And so I remember talking to him, just having a straight talk with him and saying, I want to prepare you for something because it's gonna be real difficult for you. I know you made your best friends you, that you've ever had. And, and as a dad, I'm worried about you because I love you. We gotta we gotta move away from Oceanside and the beach and all your friends and and move to Escondido. And I said, I know that's really difficult. I, I know that's bad news to you. And I still remember all these years later, he said, Dad, you know what? I don't view that as bad news. I may be a challenge, but it's worth it, and I'm willing to do it for the church. And I was just blown away by that. I was worried he was going to be frustrated with me and the church and God and everything. And I'm like, how, how did you come? He's all, that's what you taught me, Dad. I was like, yeah, but I didn't know you were listening. You know, who listens to their dad, you know? We moved here, and he met Kelly, and they're going to get married next year. That wouldn't have happened. Yeah, congratulate them. That's exciting stuff. It was frustrating back then, huh, son? But now, you know, she's the best thing that ever happened to you. And what a joy that is. So my, my, my encouragement to you is hang in there through the frustration. Don't blame anybody else. Rest in the grace of God, because nothing's going to play out the way that you wanted it to. Keep that in mind, that the foundation is the gospel and your identity in Christ. That has to be foundational, or, you know, the storm hits, and it'll just blow everything apart for you. So keep that in mind. That's my really long introduction. But I want you to have that in mind as we go through this. As, as we are entering what I think is, might be, who knows, I have an idea that it might be a new chapter. I see certain things lining up. It, it may, there may be new momentum. There may not be. We'll see what God does. But whatever the case, we lose our building and have to meet in the park. My, my, my question to you is, will you later one day say, you know what? I remember when we were going through those struggles and we were trying to live for God and be on mission. And, and, and I'm just so glad I was a part of that. Will you look back at, you know, and tell stories of what God was doing in this time, good, bad, the ugly? Will you remember how, how you were right in the middle of that? And will, will you say, you know what, experiencing you know, church family, community, even through the tough times and, and, and contributing to my church family and, and the cause of Christ and, and our mission, that fueled my relationship with God because it made me depend on him more. Will you look back and say, you know what, we lived by the power of the gospel because we didn't have any choice. Because nothing played out the way that we thought it was going to. And I wouldn't trade those times with those people for anything in the world. Let me tell you something. That's supposed to be normal for the Christian. And our passage today is all about that. First, it teaches us that the gospel calls us to offer ourselves fully to God. Fully. Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask ask why the word therefore is therefore. So, you follow that? Therefore means Paul's connecting what he's about to say to what he said right before this. Right before this, he's talking about Jesus, who he is, what he's done. He's talking about the gospel. That each of us, apart from Christ, we're far more lost than we ever imagined. But through Christ, we are far more loved by God than we ever dreamed. And so, therefore, anything that Paul calls you to do here is simply a natural response to who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That's why he says, by the mercies of God. Again, he's referring to the gospel to make sure that we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus who lived for you and died for you and gave you all the credit. He rose again to give you new life in him, and now he is interceding for you on your behalf at the right hand of God the Father. You are a son of God, a daughter of God because of Jesus, and that is who you are. And so the only response that makes any sense is to love God and live for God out of deep gratitude and loyalty. So what this means is that it is not guilt that drives you. Guilt is a horrible motivator. It'll crush you and you'll want to tap out. It is God's grace that moves you to naturally respond with joy and zeal from a place of rest. In our world, this world teaches what you do determines who you are. The gospel teaches who you are in Christ determines what you do. And so you have this sense of freedom to live from that identity in Christ. Do you see the difference there? Can you do me a favor and get me a paper towel or something? I'm dying up here. My AC is not working like like it should. And one of my spiritual gifts is sweating, so... remember one time last summer, I was sweating like this, and I was getting into it, and I don't sweat my, and I went, whoops <laughs> Soak zone right there. <laughs> they were all healed, and it was amazing. They were all slain in the spirit, and was, we had a revival. So now Paul says, therefore... Present and therefore, the gospel, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Paul's using temple language here, it's a picture of a worshiper bringing. A whole burnt offering, meaning it's a, it's a picture of, a, of total consecration and total commitment to God. And Paul says that this total consecration and this total commitment to God is your spiritual worship. All right? Do you know what that means for you? First of all, it means for you, no matter where you find yourself in your life, young, old, You know, rich, poor, wherever it is that you are in your life, this means that belief in the gospel calls for your total commitment to God. In view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel, totally consecrate and commit yourself to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Thank you so much. Now that word translated spiritual, maybe your translation says reasonable. Reasonable. Your reasonable worship. It's the same word we get logical. Paul says, in light of the cross, offering yourself totally to God is the only logical thing for you to do. Anything less than total commitment is irrational. And so you say to yourself, well, okay, um, how in the world can I believe Jesus gave himself for me without me giving myself? totally to him and everything I am to him. In, in America, what we do is we compartmentalize our lives. We got our spiritual life and then we have our career and then we have our family and then we have our hobbies. God's called us to consecrate and commit every area of our life to him. Every area. And here's what's cool. Um, when we come to grips with this, and, and we grow in our loyalty to God, then we'll become loyal to our church family. <laughs> Paul says, present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Did you notice that? Present your bodies, plural, as a, together a living sacrifice, singular. So here's what this means. This means that you cannot separate your loyalty to God from loyalty to your church family. Let me say that again. You cannot separate loyalty to God from loyalty to God's family. You can't compartmentalize it that way. God didn't set it up that way. didn't design it that way. And here's what's, when you live it and experience it, it blesses you. When we have a bunch of people who here who are here and, and they're not totally preoccupied with you know rugged individualism or whatever, but instead they see them as selves as a part of the family where, where they say you can depend on me and I'll be depending on you and we depend on each other. I mean that blesses. I, I've experienced that. I mean, I love working with you all. I love being encouraged by you all and encouraging you. I love praying with each other, and we confess together, and we hang out together, and we forgive each other, we help each other. God is growing us as a family in our love for Jesus, and therefore, I believe in our love for each other. I see it happening. The two are inseparable. So let's apply this. Have you believed the gospel? That's primary. Have you realized that apart from Christ, you're more lost than you ever imagined, but because of Christ, you're more loved by God than you ever dared to dream? Have, have you put your faith in Jesus? That's question number one, first and foremost. And if not, I want you to feel welcome here, and I'm glad that you're here, and you are welcome to be involved in the life of the church as, as, as to, you know, as much as you feel comfortable doing. But the most important thing for you to know is Jesus, who he is and what he's done. This message here is about how we live in response to his grace to us. Now, for those of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus, for those of you who, have, who believe the gospel, let me ask you this. Are you loyal to God? Do you have a loyalty to God that burns in in your heart. I'm not saying you're going to do it uh, perfectly. We're we're all going to have our highs and lows as, as, as far as that. But what I'm saying is you might, there's a difference between struggling in your loyalty and being totally apathetic and never thinking about it. Big difference. Do you have a desire to be loyal to God, and are you growing in that desire, whether you're rich or poor, busy or not healthy or not active or not able to be active? Your loyalty to God will look different depending on where God has you and your set of circumstances. But if there's no passion, no desire for loving and serving and giving and being loyal to God in whatever capacity he's given you, great or small, then it means that we're not being logical. We're not thinking. And if you're loyal to God, you will know it. You know how? You'll be loyal to God's family, his people, his new city, the church. You following me? See how this connects together here? Let me reemphasize. What you do does not determine who you are. Who you are in Christ determines what, what you do. So now we have the freedom to be living sacrifices. And one thing that I try to remind you from time to time is that the problem with living sacrifices is that we keep climbing off the altar. Right? So how do we renew... Our loyalty to, by being transformed from the inside out. Paul says in, in verse 2 do not be conformed to this world. That'll mess you up. That'll rip you off. It'll leave you empty. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, here's what happens transformation happens not by you just getting your act together and and, and just trying real hard to, to begin new habits. It doesn't, it doesn't start there. Transformation happens from the inside out because it's the renewal of the mind. It's not just outward conformity uh, to certain behaviors. That's to put the cart before the horse. It leads to changing the way that we live, but it begins with an inner transformation of your motives, an inner transformation of your thinking, and the result, Paul says, that If you look at uh, the rest of the verse, it says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You'll be able to discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. So if your mind is being renewed, you will know it and then do the will of God. Who you are in Christ leads to what you do. You don't get your identity by what you do. Renewing your mind is key. How does that happen? Well, you know what? The Apostle Paul doesn't get explicitly clear here, but obviously it's important. It's how we grow in Christ. Paul implies that mind renewal is the same as viewing God's mercies and rational Worship. This means that we renew our minds by thinking about and meditating on the truth of Christ. The truth of who he is and what he's done for you. That's how you are changed. That's how you are transformed. That's where it starts. We see this in another place where Paul uses the word transformed in 2 Corinthians 3. He's talking about how we're transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And he says, remember Moses? When he went up on that mountain and he came back and he saw the glory of God. And then he came back down and and his face was glowing. It was transformed. Paul said, that transformation was only outward and temporary. And that glow faded. But he says... Because of Christ and the power of the gospel, we are being transformed inwardly more and more into the Lord's likeness as we fix our eyes upon Jesus and gaze on the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So your transformation continues the same way that it started. The gospel is not just for for unbelievers and then it's all up to you and your grit, right? The, The gospel is what transforms you is because it empowers you and gives you grit to persevere in your faith. Transformation continues the same way it started. It's by seeing Jesus. Filling our minds with with the truth about Jesus, thinking about the glory of Jesus, reflecting on the grace of Jesus, responding in praise and gratitude toward Jesus. This is how our minds are renewed, and this is what radically changes your life. Happens from the inside out. So let me ask you, let's get, let me meddle a little bit, okay? I'm working hard up here, so... I have to have a little bit of fun and metal. My question is this: Are you being transformed for the better? Are you becoming more like Jesus? I'm not just talking about external change here. I'm asking, are you experiencing mind renewal? Are are you changing in your thinking? Are you changing in your motives? Are you changing in in your feelings? Are you changing in, in your attitude? Can you name one way that God has significantly changed you in the past three months? Anything come to mind? That's the grace of God in your life. And if nothing comes to mind, guess what? It'll be the grace of God in your life. And God graciously has given you brothers and sisters that you can ask. Go to them. Sometimes we can't see it in ourselves. We, we go to someone else and, and we ask them, have you seen any change in my life? Can you speak into my, my life? And just open yourself up uh, to, to let them tell you about what they've noticed. That's another reason why we need to be fully committed to God's family. We grow best in interdependent community. So ask another Christian, how am I growing? Listen, and then ask them to pray for you. I mean, that's when your relationship with Jesus becomes real, man. It's down to earth in that kind of community. On the other side, maybe you need to seek out another Christian brother and sister and encourage them and say, I just want to let you know, I've noticed some specific ways that that I see you growing, and here's how you have been helping me to see Jesus you might need to go somewhere and encourage them. And so let me ask you, anybody come to your mind? Somebody that you can encourage and do that? Today? Do it. Bless them, encourage them in the Lord. So our loyalty is renewed as our minds are renewed. Next, this includes thinking clearly about yourself. Okay? Okay? having a sober understanding about who who you are. Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Here's what will happen if you're left to yourself, apart from the grace of God and the community of God. Left to yourself, you will either think that you are totally worthy, or totally worth less. Or maybe you'll go back and forth between the two. Both destroy interdependent community. If you think too highly of yourself, you will think that you don't need anybody else. And I wanna put this another way. If you think that you don't need anybody else, if you think that you don't need the church, that it's not that important, if you think you don't need other brothers and sisters encouraging you in your faith on a regular basis, it means that you think too highly of yourself. It's pride isolating you. If you think you're worthless, then you'll think that you're You don't, that others don't need you. Again, that's the evil one whispering in your ear, trying to isolate you. And then gets you alone and then justified, oh, I'm just a rugged individual. That's deception. Paul says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one. In Christ, Do you know what this means? This means that, first of all, in one sense, we're all, all the same. Uh, Paul says, uh, think according to the measure of faith God has given to you. It's real easy to think that he's talking about the amount of faith that God has given to you. But the Apostle Paul would never ever say that your opinion of yourself should be based on and shaped by the amount of faith that you have. Paul would never say that. That's a denial of the gospel. By measure, he means standard of measurement or yardstick of your faith. In other words, God gave each of you a saving faith in our crucified Savior, and that is how you evaluate yourself. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, amen? You're not better than anybody else. Nobody's better than you. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Regardless of your education, your status, your abilities, your weakness, your addiction, whatever it may be, we are each saved in Christ. And as a result, our Heavenly Father loves each of us equally in Christ. The world has a totally different value system. It's all about the pecking order. It's all about survival of the fittest. The more you do and accomplish, the stronger you are, the more respect that you have, It is self-righteousness that the world glorifies. So in one way, we're the same. In another way, we're all different. In another sense, we're all different. Paul says, each of you have different gifts. Each of you have different abilities. Just just like your body, your eyes have their job. They see, your stomach has its job. It digests food and and your spleen has its job and does whatever spleens do because I have no idea what they do. We all are are different. In the body of Christ, each of us have different abilities, gifts, personalities, experiences, and functions that enable you to do certain good works that he's prepared for you to do. So if remember, who you are determines what you do. So think about who you are. First of all, you're in Christ. And secondly, how has he wired you up? What abilities, gifts, what personality, what experiences has he given to you? What abilities, what inabilities? God uses it all to do certain good works that he has prepared for you to do. So let's apply this. Again, do you have an accurate understanding of yourself? Do you think that you're worthy or do you think that you're worth less? Maybe ask someone. God wants to renew your mind so that you know who you are. And how do you do that? First, keep going back to this, but I'm afraid that it'll get missed. You soak in the gospel. And the more that you soak in the gospel of grace, the more you see that we're all the same and we're all lost, uh, so lost that Jesus had to die for us and that makes us equally loved by the Father. And then second, only after you come to grips with who you are in Christ, only after you are convinced that your identity doesn't come from what you do, then get involved in ministry. God has equipped you to serve God's family in a unique way. So find out what it is and do it with all your heart and with a sense of freedom. It might be in an official ministry team here or it might be in an unofficial capacity here or even outside the church in your own neighborhood. Y'all remember a while ago, Vicky broke her foot? It was bad. She needed surgery and all that. Her friend Kathy, her sister in Christ, didn't go, oh man, I wish we had a help people with a broken foot ministry, but we don't. So never mind. Tough luck, Vicky. We used to say at our little church, especially when we were meeting in the park, and we didn't have a bunch of different ministries, we would regularly say, you don't need an official church ministry to love your neighbor. (laughs) You don't wait for the ministry for somebody to start a ministry so you can join it. You just love your neighbor with the truth and love of Christ. If you don't know where to start, you can talk to Ming, and he'll get you rolling. Brainstorm with him. Jump in. Mix it up a little bit. Feel the freedom to experiment. I remember years ago when I went to my wife's church, they had this bus ministry, I was trying to figure out if where I fit. Maybe it was a bus ministry. I don't know. took me about three minutes to realize I'm not called into bus ministry with all these little kids. That brings me to the last point. You guys are awesome. Hanging in there with me. Paul says the renewal of your minds involves thinking clearly about yourself and then using your gifts to serve. Paul says in verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And by gifts, Paul means special abilities that God has given to each believer in order to serve God's family. Let us use them, he says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, maybe you're inspired. You've come to grips with who you are in Christ. And you're wondering how he's wired you up and how that plays out. Who you are determines what you do. Maybe you're wondering about that. How do you know what your gifts are? Paul gives us three clues. First of all, examine your life and heart. Examine your life and your heart. Think soberly about yourself. What is it that you enjoy doing? Do it to the glory of God. What energizes me? Do it to the glory of God. What's my passion and and what's my my concerns? What do I do well? Or or what is it that you've heard blesses people? Examine your life. Examine your heart and run with it. This is important because once you get involved in it, you're going to need that heart. You're going to need that desire to push through the the frustrating times because nothing's going to go the way you planned or expected. Secondly, know the gifts. Verses six through eight is just a partial list, just a sample. Other lists are included in the Bible. Find them. Read them. Think about which of those gifts you might have. Ask someone else to help you figure it out. Because your gifting gets affirmed in the context of putting it to action in, in the context of community. Just just go for it. And that leads going for it means get involved. Paul says repeatedly, if the gift is this, then use it. If the gift is that, then then use it. And and, and the truth is, you usually find your gift as you get involved in ministry. It might be a little difficult at first. You might grind a few gears. It's like learning to drive a stick shift. Don't get discouraged. Keep at it. Look around, see a need, begin to help. That's simple. And through trial and error, you're going to find your calling either an official ministry or unofficial, whatever whatever it is. Let me just give you a few examples, all right? What I've seen around here. We have a food ministry. We distribute uh, uh, 2,600 pounds of food every weekend. And when I say we, I don't mean to claim credit in that because we have a handful of mostly women who distribute 2,600 pounds of food every single weekend. Every single weekend, uh, these, this handful of women go pick up 2,600 pounds of food and they bring it to the church and then they, they unload 2,600 pounds into the kitchen and then they, they take the 2,600 pounds and they set it up in the, the cafe and then you know, people pick it up and they encourage and minister to the people in, in the neighborhood who, who need the food and who are encouraged by it and then, and then they break it all down and then they set it up the next day for day two and then, and then they figure out what to do with any leftovers that they may have. They just went for it. Now they need help. Maybe consider that as something that you might experiment with. Get involved. Talk to, to Vicki or, or, or Ming. It'll bless you. So that's an official, unofficial ministry? The Sloans. <laughs> Nick came up to me. He asked for my permission to show up and pick up trash around the church from time to time. He asked for my permission. Can I do this? I'm like, dude, you don't have to ask my permission. Just, you know, just go for it. And his family shows up once a week, and they enjoy doing it. It's not official trash-picking-up ministry. They just show up, and they're, they're doing it. You know, all the time we're talking about how we need help with infusion kids and stuff. And, and, you know, sometimes we're just, you know, begging. We need helpers. But I want to challenge any of you who are sitting out there who believe, you know, that it's worth every bit of effort to make the sacrifices needed to invest in the lives and the hearts and the souls of these kids. And to endure and embrace the, the frustration or the, the challenges or, or whatever suffering that might go along with it. It is worth it. Maybe God's called you to experiment in that area. Unofficially, Heather Harshman, I mean, she's a lawyer, and so I know she has personally blessed so many people in our our church with people who needed a lawyer, needed help with something that required a, a lawyer. It's not an official ministry. She just got involved with that. What is it that God's calling you to do? Not from a place of guilt, but as of of freedom and and, and, and that that fulfillment that comes from just living consistently with who God's created you to be. What is it for you? If we're going to keep growing in our health as a church, we need everybody to be involved, officially or unofficially. Most people involved in ministry wear three or four hats, and they do most of the financial giving as well. I encourage you to help them. March next, throw your shoulder into it next to them. So, if this is your church family, you know, be here consistently on Sunday mornings to demonstrate the goodness and the glory of God in worship yeah, because it's a, it's a testimony to, to people who don't know yet God yet and are trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. Continue to be faithful if this is your church in, in, in giving. Live in community, prioritize it, and serve in such a way that, that others will see our love and our loyalty to God and his church and be drawn to Christ because they want to be a part of that because they were created to be a part of that. Now, if you're not ready to, to contribute in, in new ways, I know that you could have good reasons. And because we are gospel-centered and we trust the power of the gospel, uh, my faith enables me to respect your judgment and your, priority, or your priorities. I'm, I'm glad that you, you are here to worship with us, and as you do, the gospel will enable you, but it will also challenge you to, to work hard and rest well. If now is the time for you to contribute... More, let, let us know, and we want to pray for you and encourage you in that. And maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a time for you to dial it back because of the set of circumstances that, that God has brought into your life. We want you to have the freedom to do that. My wife, Shannon, she was so involved in the, 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 the church growing up and, and she was a receptionist and so she was involved in coordinating so many different things. Then she got sick and then worse and got worse and worse and worse with different things. And even from bed, she manages to encourage other people through texting or calls or Facebook posts or whatever. That's her heart. That's her desire. She doesn't need to feel guilty about that. That's just Those are the cards that she got dealt. What cards are you holding? Play them for the glory of God. Just do it and enjoy it from a sense of freedom. And if you don't, if you don't know what it is, ask. Just ask, experiment. Man, you know, Anthony Escobedo is coming to our, 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 um, our gospel-driven leadership group that we have on Saturday mornings. There's 14 of us. Uh, when I was his age, I wish I had that. If, but if even if I did, I probably wasn't in the same place as he was. I didn't desire it like, like he did. He wants to figure out what God's call is on his life, and so he's got involved, and he's hanging out with a bunch of old guys. I didn't want to hang out with a bunch of old guys when I was his age. I, I would want to sleep in. I'm sure he does too, but he shows up, and he brings the coffee. And he's trying to figure it out. These verses are a good summary of the Christian life. If you believe the gospel, then the only logical response is to be totally loyal to God. And if you're loyal to God, you also be loyal to God's family. You can't separate those two. To the extent that you're not loyal to God's family, however that looks like, you're not loyal to God. You just can't separate the two. And this involves ongoing gospel renewal of the mind, thinking clearly about yourself, who you are in Jesus, and then using your gifts to serve God and his family and making a difference for his kingdom. The whole basis for this is the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He offered his body as a sacrifice so that we could offer ours. The more we think about the cross, God's generosity to us, and all that it means for us, the more we will want to say thank you, God, by living for him and for his family and for his mission. Amen? Man, Would you bow your heads with me?